0: Why do we believe in a pre-tribulation rapture? Okay, we need to find a couple of things before we go on. What do, what do we mean in rapture? That comes from a Latin word which means catching away or snatching away. And the foundation for that is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and then we'll find it in other places. And so what we believe is that someday soon, at any time, the Lord Himself will come in the clouds. He won't come to the earth yet. He'll come in the clouds and every believer in the world, living or dead, will be caught up together to meet Him in the clouds. That's what we believe. And then there's going to be tribulation on this earth such as never was from the beginning of the world until now. That's what Jesus Christ said in Matthew chapter 24. So He promised this tribulation would come. And we believe that All of the Christians, every saved person... Now, not everyone who calls themselves a Christian, because, you know, there are Christians that are not born again. There are people who call themselves Christians who have never placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for their eternal life. Those people are going to be left behind. But those of us who are saved, born again, we've placed our faith and trust in Christ alone for our eternal life, realizing that our good works can't save us, our baptism can't save us, our church membership can't save us, all of us who have trusted christ alone he 's going to take us out just like that amen, amen. that 's what we believe. So the rapture is that it 's the snatching away the tribulation is the period of time, seven years where God judges this earth, and the reason he judges the earth is to bring Israel back to him all right so that 's what we are going to look at today from the word of God first Thessalonians chapter four let 's look at it. First Thessalonians chapter four, verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. And let me stop right here. If you're going to try and take notes today, it's probably not going to work. All right? We're going to go really fast. Have your Bibles in your hands. This message will be on the website, and you can go back and mark everything then. But we're just going to have to go fast today. Do you know why we need to go fast? I leave for vacation after church. All right. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Let's look at verse 13. <laughs> Some of you are thinking, I wish you thought of that when you preached for an hour and a half when I was leaving on vacation. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. Aren't you glad we have the hope? And how many of you have a loved one who is saved, who has died? Amen. We're going to see him again. And the, the the worry here was that if they died and they missed the return of Christ, does that mean they can't go? And Paul said, don't worry about that. It's wonderful. You know, my son, Riley, he's, he's going to come up with us. And his body's going to be perfect. It's going to be like Christ's perfect body. Look at verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus... Will God bring with him? What do we mean in Jesus? The Bible says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are made new. That's 2, Thess- or 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And how do you get in Christ? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, that for, it says, through one Spirit, for by one Spirit are we all baptized into Christ's body. Every person that is born again. How does that happen? Uh, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 12, that we should be to the praise of His glory who first trusted in Christ. After that ye heard the gospel of peace and that ye believed it. So you hear the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You believe it. You receive Christ as your personal Savior. You're sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of the purchased possession, until the day of redemption, which is this rapture that we're talking about. So you get in Christ by trusting in Him. When you're in Christ, He makes you a new creature. All your old sins passed away. You're now a new creature. All of those in Christ, alive or dead. Now let's go back to our text. Verse 14, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus, God will God bring with them. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. So this isn't just Paul speaking. This is the word of the Lord. That we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Now this prevent, sometimes people try to change that in in their Bible. You might want to write this in your margin. This is pre-event. It's not going to come before. And if you look in the dictionary, that's the first definition of that word, all right? Shall not prevent them which are asleep. They're not going to go before the dead. Verse 16, For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise when? First. And you tie that with that pre-event. So we're not going to precede the dead. They're going to precede us. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Uh, Would you mark that comfort? Mark that comfort. You see, the return of Christ to the earth will be of no comfort. I'm sorry, will be of comfort to no one. We're going to see that today. The return of Christ to earth is not going to be a comfort to the people of the earth. The Bible makes that very clear. So obviously we're talking about two different events. This is a comforting thing. We're taken up to be with him in the air. If there's no rapture, if there's no snatching away, if there's no meeting the Lord in the air, then this makes no sense at all. So this identifies one of the major problems with Bible interpretation. We believe it literally. We believe every word. We don't treat it as an allegory or as a spiritual truth. We treat it as actual truth. We take it as literal unless there's figurative language. Is that right? So, And how do we understand figurative language? Like or as. The Bible says the kingdom of heaven is like a man that traveled into a far country. Well, we understand that the kingdom of heaven is not a man traveling into a far country. It's like that. And so he describes it that way. But it doesn't say the return of Jesus Christ will be like this. It says, no, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. That is an event that will happen. It's just as sure as God is. All right? So, those of us who take the Bible literally, we understand this is an event that's coming. All right? So, that's the first thing we understand. What the rapture is, we're saying that it's going to come before the tribulation. The tribulation is a time where God judges Israel. We'll see that in a minute. The second thing that we have to understand is a distinction between Israel and the church of God. All right? Not the Pentecostal church. All right? They have a name called the church of God right? But all believers who have been baptized into the body of Christ. That's the church of God. All right? So all of us who are saved, we're all a part of the church of God. That didn't happen until after Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came. That's when that church came into full function. We all, we all understand that. All right? If many man hath not the Holy Spirit, he's none of his. Hath not the Spirit of God, he's none of his. Romans 8, 9. You've got to have the Holy Spirit in you. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, For we are all baptized by one Spirit into one body. All. What does all mean? All right. So if, you're not in the whole, if, if you've not been baptized into Christ by the Holy Spirit, you're just not saved. And so everyone who is in that body, how many bodies does Jesus have? One Lord, one faith. Is that right? One baptism. One God of all, one Father of all, who's in all and through all and in you all. Ephesians chapter 4. It's very clear. So when that happens, all the believers are gone. The only way that we can believe that is if there's a difference between Israel, the nation of Israel in the land that God chose for them. There's a difference between that group and the church of God. 1 Corinthians 10.32. Let's go there. 1 Corinthians 10.32. You girls don't mess with this jacket. I know you want to. I told those girls this morning, it's nice having those young ladies up the front because they're so much better looking than these ugly guys right here. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. No, I didn't appreciate that this morning. God's called me to speak the truth. Be not dismayed by their faces. That's what it says in Jeremiah. So... 1 Corinthians (laughs) 10.32. I think I just violated this verse. Look at what it says. Give none offense to ugly boys. All right. 1 Corinthians 10.32. Give none offense neither to the Jews nor to the Gentiles nor to the church of God. Do you see three distinct groups there? All right. We understand who the Jews were. How many of you ever heard someone say this? The first Jew was a Gentile. No. What we hear is the first Christian was a Jew. Because Jesus Christ was a Jew. But what we can tell them is the first Jew was a Gentile. Abraham was a Gentile. Adam was a Gentile. God made of Abraham a great nation. What's the nation? The Hebrew race, the Jews. They came from Abraham. So from Adam until Abraham, there were only Gentiles. From, from Abraham through Pentecost, there were only Jews and Gentiles. That's all there was. But now, from the return of or, or from the, the, the return of Christ. All that you have left are Jews and Gentiles because the church of God is in heaven. You have to see a distinction to understand the difference between the church of God and Israel. You have to see that. Now, in the church, we can't ever miss this. It's what the book of Galatians is about. In the church, there's no distinction between Jews and Gentiles. There's no distinction, right? We're all one in Christ that middle wall of partition between us, according to the book of Colossians, has been taken out of the way. So there's no difference between Jews and Gentiles in the church. We're all children of God. Amen. Amen? But the nation of Israel is distinct from the church, according to 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 32. Go to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. Why do we believe in a pre-tribulation rapture? Revelation chapter 1. All right, so you have the Jews, the Gentiles, and the Church of God, 1 Corinthians 10, 32. And God has told every one of those groups about His return, about the end times. In the book of Ezekiel, He tells the Jews about the end times. So if you've read anything by Joel Rosenberg, he deals with Ezekiel almost exclusively, and it's all about how God is going to deal with the nation of Israel when He returns. That's Ezekiel. Daniel tells about the Gentiles. We have the Babylonians. We have the the Persians. We have the Greeks and we have the Romans. The major civilizations are dealt with in the book of Daniel. And God tells us about the end times through uh, the Gentile nations. And then in the book of Revelation, He gives the end times information for the church of God. Jews, Gentiles, church of God. Jews, Ezekiel. Gentiles, Daniel. Revelation for the church of God. How do I know that? Revelation chapter 1, verse 4. John to the Jews. What's it say? churches which are in Asia. Grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. Now, don't let that seven spirits which are before his throne throw you. If we took the time to track it down, you'll just see that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God is defined as the seven spirits. Why seven? God, perfect, perfection. That's God, it's the Holy Spirit, all right? Verse 5, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. You might want to mark that. Your sins aren't covered. Your sins are washed in the blood of Jesus. They're gone. They're cast as far as the east is from the west. Amen. He remembers them no more. Now look at what it says in verse 6. And hath made us kings and priests. So here's what we are going to be, kings and priests. That's our designation already. So after church, I want you all to call me your royal highness. No? It's so funny. For 15 years, whenever I say something like that, Ruby Lime goes, oh. (laughs) It's true, isn't it, Ruby? (laughs) There he goes again. All right. (laughs) Now, look at verse 7. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye. Now, notice, look at what it says. And every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. Who's that? Israel and the Romans. And all kindreds of the earth shall praise God because he's come to the earth. What's it say? Is there any comfort there? What's the difference? ...coming to the earth or coming in the clouds. He's coming with clouds of glory. See the difference? Those words mean things. All right? Now, so what do we see here? The book of Revelation is for the church. It's for the churches. It's for us to understand what's going on, what is going to happen. Look at verse 20, chapter 1 and verse 20. "...the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks." No, he's just going to explain to us what that means. It's not really complicated. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. All right, now you might have a footnote in your study Bible that says that that's the pastors of the seven churches. Is that right? Well, Brother Farrier was a pastor and he is no angel. (laughs) And here in a few chapters, we're going to have the four angels standing on the four corners of the earth holding back the winds. I don't know. I know of some pastors that are, you know, windbags, but none of them can control the winds on the four corners of the earth. Do you know what this word means? Angels. Okay? The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. What is repeated there? The churches. The churches. This is dealing with the churches. Chapter 2, verse 1. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus. Verse seven. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto what? The churches. Verse eight. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna. Verse eleven. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Verse twelve, and unto the angel of the church in Pergamos. Verse 17, he that hath an ear let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Verse 18, and unto the angel of the church in Thyatira. Uh, Look at verse 29, he that hath an ear let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Look at verse uh, 6, he that hath an ear let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Verse 7, unto the angel of the church in Philadelphia write Look at verse uh, 13. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Verse 14, unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans. Look at verse 22. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto what? (laughs) Do you think any of that has any meaning? What is repetition in the Bible? Okay, so the emphasis of this whole portion of Scripture is all about what? Churches. Now, I have a line drawn in my Bible now, right from churches at the end of verse 22. Look at chapter 4 and verse 1. After this, after what? After the churches. After the church age. And look at what it says. After this, I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven... And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. After what? After the church age. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things to come. All right, we'll show you the things which must be here after. Verse 2, And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting Look at what it says. Clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. The Bible says we're kings and priests. In Leviticus, the the garb, the clothing of the priest was white, but there's no priest in Leviticus that had a crown on his head and sat on a throne. This is us. We're kings and priests before our God. So the four and twenty elders, that's the church. And we are in heaven. Okay, called up. Now look at chapter 5, verse 1. And remember... Fanny Crosby, you know, she got the crown on her head. We just sang that a little while ago. Is that right? You have the crown, all right? That comes, when does that come? After we receive our rewards. When does that happen? After the rapture. They have their crowns. Now, chapter 5, verse 1. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. So that's not hard to understand. Just picture a, a, a scroll. It's a piece of paper written on both sides. And it's going to be sealed with seven seals. So it's going to have a seal here, and you're going to open it. You'll get to another point. There's another seal. You'll break that seal and read a little bit more. Break that seal and read a little bit more. That's the way that you have to picture this. That's what it's talking about. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor on earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And that, that in heaven or on earth or under the earth, think about that with uh, Philippians chapter 2. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and be, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God hath also highly exalted himself and given him a name which is above every name. Why did he do that? Because he, uh, he died for us. Wherefore God hath also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of the Father, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. All of those people are going to bow before him because he is Lord. Here we have that same designation. None of those who have bowed before him are worthy to open the book. Only he is. Why? Because he's the Lord. We're not. We're still submissive to our Lord, even in heaven. Verse 4, And I wept much, "...because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain." having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. So now, if you drop down, if you look at chapter 1 and verse 11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are created. Worthy is the Lamb. Verse 9, chapter 5, verse 9. And they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to loose the seals. He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. Verse 12, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. We were just singing that, weren't we? Worthy is the Lamb. What is He worthy to do? Kill half the people in the world. Kill half the people in the world. Chapter 6 and verse 1, And I saw when the Lamb had opened one of the seals. What happens here? The judgment of the world starts happening. Isn't that interesting? That's not what we think of when we're seeing worthy as the Lamb because we, we remove these scriptural words from their context. Now, Jesus Christ is worthy of our praise and honor. Is that right? But when the Bible talks about that, it's saying that He's worthy to destroy half the population of the world. And I want you to notice something. This is so interesting. When He opens the seals in chapter 6, the church is already around the throne. Before the first of the seals, not halfway through, not a third of the way through, not after the tribulation, before the first seal of the tribulation takes place. The the church is around the throne having received their rewards, their thrones, their crowns. That's all happened before the first seal is opened. The other thing that I want you to notice, look at the two views of Jesus Christ. The two views, chapter 5 and verse 5. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals. For the people on the earth, he will be the lion of the tribe of Judah who will loose the seals. But look at who he is for the people around the throne. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne of the four beasts, in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain. He's not our judge. He's the Lion of the tribe of Israel. For us, He's the Lamb slain. He's our Savior. He died for us. We're worshiping Him around the throne. But for the people on the earth, He is going to be their judge. So from Revelation 4, 1 on, the church is in heaven until we come back with the Lord to begin the thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth. Now, all of this judgment that's happening, let's go to chapter 6 and verse 1. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, and one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And we, we start with this white horse. He had a bow and a crown was given him, and he was sent forth conquering and to conquer. In verse 4, you have the the red horse who takes peace from the earth so that they should kill one another. In verse 5, you have the black horse. And uh, food, you're going to have just a measure of wheat. It's going to cost you a whole day's wage and it won't feed you. It won't be enough. That's what happens in verse 6. In verse 8, and behold, a pale horse and his name that sat on him was death and hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. And uh, uh, so a quarter of the population of the world dies, just like that. They're gone. A quarter of the population of the world. Sixty million people died in World War II. And if you talk to anybody from that generation, everyone in the United States knew someone who had died in World War II. Sixty million. Two billion die, just like this. Just like this. Revelation chapter 13, another third. So more than half the population of the world dies, just like that. They're gone. They're gone. Now, how many of you think that's something that ought to be feared? God gives 21 specific promises of judgment in these next few chapters. You have the seals, seven seals. Then you have the seven trumpets. And then you have the seven vials. And in the midst of the seven vials, you have the woes. And it's a horrible, horrible, horrible time of judgment. According to Zechariah chapter 13, two-thirds of the nation of Israel die. And one-third say, you are our God. That's something to be feared, is that right? Go to 1st Thessalonians. I'm sorry, 2nd Thessalonians. 2nd Thessalonians. I'll tell you what, if you're not saved, if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your savior, you've got no good news. Uh, it doesn't matter how bad life is right now. It's just going to get worse, and then you're going to go to hell. All right? So the good news is trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. Amen. He doesn't want you to go through that. He died on the cross, so you don't have to. We love you. We're not mad at you. We don't hate you. We want you to be part of us. Amen. None of us have any right to be saved. Jesus Christ gives it to us as a free gift. Amen. Heed the warning. Look at 2 Thessalonians. Look at verse chapter 2, verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren... By the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. You see, we are not to be troubled by the return of Christ. We as believers, we're not to be troubled by that. Why? Go to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Look at verse 16. Oh, look at verse 15. Matthew 16, verse 15. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? This is Jesus Christ asking the question. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter... And upon this rock will I build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, do you see that? The gates of hell are not going to prevail against the church. Is that right? Revelation chapter 6, you have the gates of hell being opened. The first horse is, is Antichrist. He comes. He's going to come with a bow and with a crown. doesn't have arrows. He's going to conquer them with peace. And then he's going to remove peace from the earth as he's revealed in the red horse. And then the pale horse comes and the black horse comes with death and it's horrible. Is that right? That's hell. That's hell. Well, the Bible says that hell that hell's not going to prevail against the gates of hell aren't going to prevail against the church. Is that right? So we have to be gone before that happens. Look at how severe it gets. Look at uh, Revelation. Revelation 13. Revelation 13, verse 1. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. That's disrespect for God. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him power and his seat and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death and his deadly wound was healed and all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon which gave power unto the beast and they worshipped the beast saying, Who is like unto the beast and who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. It's three and a half years. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. Look what it says in verse 7. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to what? And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. So here are saints being overcome by the dragon, by the beast. The Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The Bible says, we have overcome through the blood of the Lamb. That's who we are. Satan can't overcome us. We are gone. These are apparently different saints than the saints who have Jesus Christ in them and who are in Christ. Who are these? These are the Jews. And they are overcome by the wicked one. They're deceived by the wicked one during the tribulation period. The church is gone. Just gone. Praise God for that. All right. Now, look with me at um, Jeremiah chapter 30. Who is the tribulation for? Who is the tribulation for? Israel. That's right, Thelma. Jeremiah chapter 30 and verse 4. You know, let's just start reading in verse 1. The context is so helpful. Jeremiah chapter 30 and verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord God of Israel, saying, Write thee all the words that I have spoken unto thee in a book. For lo, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel and Judah, saith the Lord. I will cause them to return to the land that I give to their fathers, and they shall possess it. So this is the promise that God is going to bring the children of Israel back into the land. Is that right? That was partially fulfilled in 1948, but you understand there are more Jews in New York City than there are in Israel. Right? So they're not all there yet. So God is going to cause all of them To go back to the land. That's what it says here. And look at what it says. Verse 4. And these are the words that the Lord spake concerning Israel and concerning the church. Judah. Judah. For thus saith the Lord, we have heard a voice of trembling of what? Fear and not of peace. Ask ye now and see whether a man doth travail with child. Now, whenever you say that word travail in the Bible, it's always a reference to the tribulation period. Wherefore do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in travail, and all faces are turned into paleness. Why? Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of the church's trouble. Jacob's trouble but he shall be saved out of it. He'll be saved out of it. Israel comes through the fire and is saved out of it. We're saved from it, the Bible says. How many of you understand there's a difference between out and from? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's vital that we see this. Go with me to Daniel chapter 9. A couple of books later. Daniel chapter 9 verse 3. Daniel has understood what's coming in verse 3. He he prays about it. And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord. The great and merciful God? Dreadful God. Now let me ask you something. Is that the way we believers are taught to pray? Those of us who are saved, born again, have the Spirit of God in us. Is that the way that we're taught to pray? No. No. There's a distinction between Israel and the church. Keeping the... Now hold on. You might be thinking, are you saying that Daniel's not saved? Daniel believed God and has counted him for righteousness. Righteousness. Daniel's obedient. The Bible says he overcame the wicked. When we have him in Hebrews chapter 11, God counted his obedience as righteousness to him. We obey God now by receiving the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, believing the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's not what Daniel was believing here. He's speaking of the national sin. We know that. Look at what it says, verse 5. We have sinned. Is that I have sinned? No. We have sinned and have committed wickedly and have done wickedly and have rebelled even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. Go to verse 11. Yea, all Israel have transgressed thy law even by departing that they might not obey thy voice. Therefore, the curse is poured upon us and the oath that is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, because we have sinned against him. Verse 13. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this evil has come upon us. Yet made we not our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand thy truth. Therefore hath the Lord watched upon the evil and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all his works which he doeth, and we obeyed not his voice. Verse 16. O Lord, according to all thy righteousness, I beseech thee, let thine anger and thy fury be turned away from thy city, Jerusalem, thy holy mountain, because for our sins... And for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and thy people are become a reproach to all that are about us. Verse 19. O Lord, O Lord, Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and do. Defer not for thine own sake. O my God, for thy city and for thy people which are called by thy name. How many of you see this is for Israel? Why? Why? Verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression... For them, to finish the transgression for them. Keep your place here. Go to John 19. John 19, verse 30. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, He said, It is... Finished. What was finished? Sin. Transgression. His payment for sin was accomplished. It is finished. What's the transgression that has to be paid? The nation of Israel hasn't turned to Him. Daniel 9. Go back to Daniel 9. Verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression... And to make an end of sins. To make an end of sins, what's that talking about? Hold your place in Daniel 9. Go to Hebrews. Hebrews. Chapter 9. Verse 26. Let's start reading verse 24. Aren't you glad you're not taking notes? Hebrews 9, 24. "'For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that He should offer Himself often, as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others.' For then must he have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. To make an end of sins, Jesus already did that. Verse 27, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was, off, was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for Him shall He appear the second time without sin unto what? Those of us who are under that blood sacrifice, when He comes, it's our salvation. It's wailing and judgment for the people of Israel. Is that right? Go back to Daniel 9. Look at what it says. Verse 24 again. To make, in the middle of the verse, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and the prophecy, and to anoint the Most Holy. Anoint the Most Holy. What does Messiah mean? What does Christ mean? The Anointed One. When Jesus Christ, at the end of the tribulation period, they come through, He will be seated on His throne as the King of Israel. He'll be anointed as the Jewish Messiah. They'll say to Him, You are our God. And He'll say, You are my people, Zechariah chapter 13. It's a wonderful thing. Now, the Bible talks about this. Look at, why shouldn't we worry about this? All right, go to First Thessalonians chapter 1. How many of you see that this day of wrath is a bummer? 1 Thessalonians, chapter 1. Look at verse 5. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. So they come and preach the gospel to them, right? Look at verse 9. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from what? From the wrath to come. Chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians 5. Look at verse 9. You know, we, we already looked at chapter 4. The rapture takes place. So let's look at chapter 5 and verse 1. But of the times and seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. That day of the Lord, it's going to come. For when they shall say peace and safety, remember what the Bible says he's going to bring in peace, Revelation chapter 6. Uh, they want peace, but they don't want the prince of peace. Woe to them when they say peace, peace, when there is no peace. Is that right? Look at what it says. But of the times and seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I read unto you. For yourselves know perfectly the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they, the lost people, shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as what? Travail, tribulation. Upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunk and are drunk in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. But is that just tie right in with Ephesians 6, right? Verse 9, for God hath not appointed us to what? Wrath but to attain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. When does that salvation come? When He returns. We just looked at it in in, in Hebrews chapter 9. Is that right? When He comes the second time, it's with salvation for us. Then look at what it says. Who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Wherefore, again, what's it say? Comfort yourselves together. Comfort yourselves together. Is there any comfort in the wrath of God? Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6, look at verse 15. Revelation 6, verse 15. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. And here they worship, they cry to what they worship and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us. And hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the what? Wrath of the Lamb for the what? The great day of his what? Wrath is come and who shall be able to stand? Look at Zephaniah, Zephaniah, Malachi and then Zechariah and then Haggai and then Zephaniah. So if you just go back a few pages from the the end of your Old Testament, Zephaniah chapter 1. This gives us the definition of the day of the Lord. Zephaniah chapter 1. Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 14. Look at what it says. Zephaniah 1, 14. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hasteth greatly, even the voice of the day of the Lord. Now look. We already learned in 1 Thessalonians 5 that we are not ignorant of the day of the Lord. That's not going to come on us. That's for them. Is that right? Is that what it said in 1 Thessalonians? And look at what happens. The day of the Lord is near. It is near uh, and hasteth greatly. Even the voice of the day of the Lord, the mighty man shall cry there bitterly. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress. It's a day of wrath a day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of the trumpet and the alarm against the fenced cities and against the high towers. Now, it's very clear. We're not of the night. We're not of this darkness. We are delivered from the wrath to come, 1 Thessalonians 1.10. We're delivered from that. Not we will be delivered. We are. We're not saved out of it. We're saved from it. The church is not a part of the tribulation. Very clear. We are not a part of the tribulation. So why do people teach that the church is going to go through the tribulation? Why do people teach that? Some people, they're just an error. Others, they refuse to see the distinction between Israel and the church. But aren't you glad we're not going to have that trouble? We are delivered from the wrath to come. You know, there are a couple of errors that people make. Well, there's wrath coming, but I don't deserve it. Folks, every person who's ever lived, other than the Lord Jesus Christ, deserves the wrath of God. Amen? The tribulation will make people good enough to go to heaven. Let people believe that. Go to Revelation chapter 13 with me. The tribulation will purify people. Let's see how that lines up with Scripture. Revelation chapter 13. I'm sorry, it's Revelation 9. Sorry, going from memory here. Look at... Revelation chapter 9, and look at verse 15. And the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year, for to slay the third part of men. Verse 18, By these three was the third part of men killed, by the fire and by the smoke and by the brimstone which issued out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails, for their tails are like unto a serpent's and had heads and with them they do no hurt, or they with them they do hurt. Now look at what this says, verse twenty. So we've already had a, a quarter of the men killed. Now a third of the men are killed, verse twenty. And the rest of the men, which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. Neither repented they of their murders nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. The tribulation period is not going to make anybody righteous. Eventually, eventually, Israel will turn to God. But Two-thirds of them are going to die. What does that have to do with the church? Nothing. We're saved from the wrath to come. Praise the Lord. How many of you know for sure that you're saved? You know that Jesus Christ is your personal Savior. How many of you know somebody that's not saved? This is what they're going to go through. Folks, we need to get the gospel out to them. The fact that we're going to be delivered from this, praise God. That's wonderful. How many of you just kind of wish it would happen right away? (laughs) You know, There's so much trouble in the world. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus, deliver us from this mess. Get me out of my mortgage. Look, He's coming back. But man, everybody that we know that's not saved, they're going to go through this. So there are three things that I wanted to accomplish this message. Number one, I wanted you to have the evidence that we're not going to go through the tribulation. How many of you see that? We're not going through the tribulation. We're delivered from the wrath to come. But secondly, I want you to make sure that you're saved. Young people, just because you prayed a prayer when you were two or three and your parents tell you, yeah, you prayed, you're okay. If you don't know for sure that you're saved, get that settled. I prayed a prayer when I was six. When I was 15, I wasn't sure. So I got it settled. And I know for sure that I'm saved. might have been when I was six, but I know for sure from the time I was 15. Make sure that you get it settled. All right? If you're not born again, get that cared for. So number one, we need to know what we believe. Number two, we need to make sure that we're saved. And number three, everyone that we know that is lost, we need to tell them again. We've got to tell them again. Jesus Christ is coming back. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word.